The irony of man's condition is that the deepest need is to be free of the anxiety of death and annihilation, but it is life itself which awakens it, and so we must shrink from being fully alive. Nat, welcome back to Made You Think. I'm very happy to be here, Neil. Yeah, me too. Yeah. This is uh, this is gonna be an interesting episode, as we say before every I think episode. We say that at the beginning of every episode. Yeah, but that's because we haven't picked a, a not interesting book yet. It's true. Or if we have, you guys would have just never heard the episode. That, that would be a terrible episode <laughs> if we showed up and we're like, Neil, this is not an interesting episode. I think everyone should just go home and uh, try to find a more interesting book. <laughs> that would be useful. It would be useful, useful advice, but it would actually be the most that, interesting. Episode. It could be like a good bonus episode. Yeah. Like here's all the books we didn't do on Made You Think. <laughs> we haven't come across one yet that we decided to do and decided not to do. That's like, true. That hasn't happened yet. It will happen, I'm sure. Probably, yeah. Um, and before we get too deep into it, the book we're talking about is The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker, which is an extremely interesting book, and everyone definitely should read it. Yeah. Just in case that little intro tangent was confusing at all. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And I, I would say it's quite, it's related, but it is also different in some ways than a lot of the other books that we've done. Yeah. Um, and I mean, just right off the bat, one of the my biggest comments that I think I even made to you earlier this week when we were reading it is that this book was like so rich mm. in information that yeah. it's like I was having trouble reading more than like 10 or 15 pages at a time. Yeah, because you kind of like your brain was like, "Whoa, I need to stop and think about that." It's because, really, it's, yeah, it's it's like buttery. It's yes. rich. It's like the book equivalent of foie gras. You have to take a break between bites. <laughs> It'd be very nice for the keto diet, right? It would. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectketo.com/slash/think. Yeah. <laughs> Support your podcast. Uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, definitely one of the like richest in terms of language books I've read, and it's so interesting to reading it through the lens of like when it was written compared to now, because so extremely short version is that the book is arguing the terror of death is sort of the primary psychological motivation, not repression of sexuality. And so it's written as a kind of response to Freud, right. which at the time he was writing it, you know, Freud was really like the preeminent psychological influence. And I think, you know, today he's lost a lot of that eminence. I think most people yeah. realize that a lot of those theories around repressed sexuality just, you know, it really hasn't played out. And so a big part of it's the funny book, how much of how many of those motifs though are still kind of like taken like they're still referred to a lot. Like people like refer to like, I don't know, like the Oedipus complex. Mm, and like they they yeah. people refer to a lot of Freud's theories. It's almost like the parts of Freud that were true, and I'm not coming up with this in a Jordan Peterson episode, so okay. don't, don't give me too much credit <laughs> for this. It's like the parts of Freud that were true or are true, I guess, have just been incorporated into like general knowledge. Right. And then the, all the parts that were like not true are the things we call him out on. That's a good so point. Jordan Peterson yeah. is like not the biggest Freud fan. Kind of, I actually say Ernst Becker and uh, Jordan Peterson had a lot of similarities in mm -hmm. some ways. From the cycle. Well, I'm sure Peterson has read. Becker. I'm sure. I'm I sure. could see the like the similarities. Yes, even in the language that they use and stuff. So I, I totally agree with that. But I would say that like Peterson does make a a little more allowance. I would say for Freud's genius than Becker does. But I think maybe maybe when he, Becker wrote this book, Freud was taken much more seriously than he is now. So now, like someone almost needs to defend Freud, whereas at that time it was like you need to sort of tear down. This exactly. It was the only way to have a psychological theory stand out. Yeah. Uh, interesting kind of note on the book, too, is, you know, Ernest Becker wrote it and published it in 1974. And then he died later that year. 
And in the intro, it talked about that too, I think. Uh, not the intro. There was a, maybe the version that I had was like a republished edition. Okay. There was like a note by a journalist who had interviewed him on, oh, like, yes. on his deathbed. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. No, so it's a very interesting take because that's basically what the whole book is about is how most psychological issues and a lot of these uh, psychoses and things that we all struggle with on whatever level stem from a desire to fight our own mortality. And being lost without any kind of like um well i guess this also relates back to our power of myth episode but like being lost without any kind of like story to tie our purpose of existence yeah together uh because one i mean um, we'll go through all the, the book but like one thing in particular that i kind of haven't stopped thinking about since reading this book is like there's this interplay between on one hand, you know, if you think, well, if you're going to die anyway, you might as well just like enjoy it, like live every day like it's your last, you know, there's right, like the YOLO right. philosophy, YOLO. <laughs> right? Uh, then you have like the other side, which is like, you take everything so seriously because like everything you do has cosmic significance. And then you take like, I don't know, it's almost like the truth is right somewhere in the middle of all of this. Yeah. Where it's like, because I, I I do fluctuate between these things where it's like, on one hand, it's like, okay, if we're going to die anyway, like nothing we're actually working on matters. But then on the other hand, it's like, what you do work on actually does matter because it's going to affect a lot of things down the line that right. you might not even realize or might not even play out in your lifetime. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I don't know, I always fluctuate between those two and I don't know what the right answer is. And I think that's partially what this book is about. Yeah. Well, it's, so. it's weird because it's, it's sort of like both are true and neither right. are true. Yes. It's everything that we do doesn't matter, but it also matters more than anything else. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right? Because how much something matters is a purely personal, you know, it's a purely subjective definition. Totally. And so nothing will matter more than what you actually do with your life. It's just like time, right? So that time is incredible. Like all of time is incredibly long. And so you can say that your life is incredibly short, but it is the longest thing you will experience, right? Right. right. So subjectively, your life is incredibly long. Right. And then you, you get that feeling even on a micro level, like you have some, like an hour in the grand scheme of things of your life is like no time at all. Right. But it can feel like so long yeah. if you're just standing in line for something for an hour <laughs> or like you're stuck in traffic. Stuck in traffic at the UN. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll feel like the longest hour of your you yeah. know of your life but it's still just one hour it's still know? just an hour yeah which is a blip on the radar yep but the way he introduces this is this discussion of like human nature and heroism right so how we all have this heroic urge and he's got this great line in the introduction that uh, he's talking about children here and he says that it's not that children are vicious selfish or domineering it's that they so openly express man's tragic destiny he must desperately justify himself as an object of primary value in the universe. He must stand out, be a hero, make the biggest possible contribution to world life, show that he counts more than anything or anyone else. And this is the primary motivation, right, for so much of what we're doing is that in some way we feel like it is feeding into this creation of ourselves as an object of primary value, like trying to make ourselves into the hero, which is why these hero myths are so attractive to us, kind of like we talked about in Power of. Yeah. And I mean, I think this even bringing it kind of um, out of even just power of myth, I think even in any kind of like sales context or any context where you're trying to convince someone of anything this is a super important thing to remember that like everyone views their life almost like they're playing like a single player game oh i see what you mean right yeah, yeah. they like can't as much as we like to think we can empathize with other people and we can to an extent 
like we only experience our own perspective really directly. Like I think you brought up in another episode is like, we can never put ourselves in the, it was like how to feel like a bat or something. Yeah. That you yeah. brought up, right. It's like, wait, actually explain that. Well, it's, it's sort of unrelated. That's more about how there is a subjective consciousness to like each person that we can't a hundred percent understand. Well, so I guess it is pretty simple. That is actually yeah, what I'm yeah. saying. So it's like, we can't necessarily put ourselves in the other person's shoes. So we always, let's say I'm trying to sell you something, right? I always would think naturally would think about it from my perspective. Like, Oh, if I sell you this, I make like a $10 commission and like my company grows or I have another customer. Whereas like you're not thinking about any of those things. You're thinking about like, if I buy this thing, my life is going to improve this much. And like, you don't care that the salesperson gets a commission or not. So it's really important to just like, remember that for everybody, they view themselves as like the primary value of their universe. Right. Right. And that it's like, they're the hero in their own they're story. They're the hero in their own story. Exactly. Yeah. And then he goes on really to say- yeah. It's a really easy thing to forget. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's especially when you're trying to justify doing something or trying to explain why you are doing something or like why somebody else should care about something in particular, right? It's like the reason you care about something is probably not going to be the same reason exactly. that somebody else might care about it. So yep. like you have to speak to their interest, right? Kind of like you said with sales, right? Cold emailing in particular, right? The biggest mistake people make with cold emailing is talking about themselves, right? right? Like, here's what you can do for me. And yeah. the person doesn't care what they can do for you. Right. They care about what, they can, what you can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And bringing it back to uh, the psychology and, you know, Becker's argument is that he goes on to say that basically becoming conscious of what we're doing to earn our feeling of heroism is the main self-analytic problem of life. Because we are all acting in some way to make ourselves into a hero, but it might not be obvious and it might not be comfortable what that is, right? It's like a lot of people are doing kind of destructive things in pursuit of this cosmic significance and we have to continually introspect and ask ourselves like what is the thing that we are doing because we think that it will make us like have value like meaningful have an impact be you know some sort of hero or even anti-hero right right and that's some the kind of, self-analytic problem at least have some kind of impact yeah really like some kind of significance yeah like some type of dent in the universe essentially right it's it's really interesting. And when you start to think about it, you can kind of pick it out in a lot yeah. of people that you meet, right? I mean, like for us, it's definitely part of it is like for sure putting this stuff out there, right? Well, putting this stuff, the fact that we were doing companies, exactly. Like, yeah, and you almost like reading this was really interesting. It's like almost making me like question my myths, yeah, or my own, <laughs> not my myths, sorry, my thought process, right? Where it's like to some extent, I feel like I can't do anything that's not trying to do like my own company or even if I'm working for somebody, like it's got to be some type of like role where I almost feel special. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, that's probably me. Or that's probably also just me trying to feel like, you know, uh, what was the quote he used here? Um, shows that he counts more than anything or anyone else. It's right. probably like that impulse in me, right? That's like just played out really strongly throughout all the projects I've worked on. Oh, yeah. No, I, for both of us. I'm the same way. And but that's actually kind of important. Yes. Yeah. He, he makes this point, you know, makes also in the intro in some way. Yeah. Well, like, but but we need that. Yeah. Right. And he kind of says in, in the beginning that the crisis of our society is that the youth don't feel heroic anymore, that you have all of these young people who just have no sense of some big heroic ideal that they are pushing towards. Uh, Nihilism is kind of the opposite of this right i don't know that much about nihilism okay so i can't answer that question intelligently yeah i don't know enough about it except what i've heard other people talk about it yeah i mean i as i understand it on a basic level it's sort of just like nothing matters i'm just kidding (laughs) carnegie mellon does not have a good philosophy (laughs) department (laughs) clearly this podcast is not sponsored by carnegie (laughs) (laughs) they they have good philosophy in like one narrow area the philosophy of mind everything else 
Yeah. Not so much. Not so much. But yeah, so kind of like what Campbell said in Power of Myth, that youth don't have these myths of like, especially for men, you know, coming into manhood, that like big transition, right? And there's not this like heroic sense of what we're doing matters, right? right? It's like you just, you know, go to classes and get good grades and like listen to your parents and play violin, right? Like there's no inspiring myth there. There's no heroism that you're working towards. In a weird way, that like kills your motivation even though like objectively it shouldn't matter it shouldn't it shouldn't but i mean it it totally does which means that it does matter (laughs) yeah (laughs) well and and he talks about this later too but that's sort of he's arguing that that is a core cause for depression which you know i'm really inclined to agree with is that if you don't have a compelling narrative for what you're doing with your life then you will naturally be depressed and feel like your life doesn't matter because i mean sort of doesn't right Right. even to you yeah even to you yeah it's like it's just it's completely meaningless and so it's natural to feel that depression and he's arguing that you kind of have to have that self-heroism to motivate yourself to do anything. And I think a lot of people don't have that. And it's it's unfortunate that we're in a society that treats everything with a drug, right? And yeah. like, you know, sticking on depression for a bit, the whole like chemical imbalance in the brain thing, like that's been pretty thoroughly, not, you know, 100% disproven, but strongly discredited. It was basically invented by drug companies. But the more that myth is perpetuated, the less people think of like pursuing a solutions. heroic goal well, as a way to treat true. it. Yeah. Even if that is true for a subset of the population, let's say. Right. Let's allow that. Maybe like 10%. Right. Yeah. But that means that like 90% of the people could be treated by other means. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, that's totally an interesting point. I thought you were going to kind of go in a different direction with that. Like, I think, you know, so society treating everything with drugs is like one issue, but then also society treating everything with sort of meaninglessness in other ways too. Like, uh, it's almost like we want to tear down our heroes Mm. in society in a lot of ways. Not like, Okay, some heroes definitely deserve to be torn down. Yeah. But I, I was thinking more about like for sports or music. Uh, okay. When like people sort of like, okay, a music artist gets popular. And then like, they, let's say they do something stupid or like there's a picture of them that looks stupid. They're not even doing anything like illegal or unethical, but they're drunk, which we've all been out and drunk and done stupid things like, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then you'll just see like everybody tear that person down. Right. And it's like fun to do mm-hmm. that in some ways. And it's like very, it's like almost applauded in society to tear down like a famous rich person. Yeah. And that happens with actors. It happens with like athletes all the time. Um, yeah, and it's almost like we are jealous in some ways. That's kind of what I get sometimes. Well, he, he's got a couple of things on that later, which I thought were pretty interesting and we'll probably come back to him. Yeah. But one of the things he mentions is that we have to tear down our heroes to give ourselves yes, a sense of control. Section, right. The right? king part where they're yeah. talking about ancient societies like killed their or like would uh, kill their king or humiliate their king. Do you remember that part? I think I'm thinking of a different part. Okay. I'm thinking of the when we have like a mentor or an idol. Oh, yes. And yeah, we yeah, see yeah, like yeah. the hero has clay feet. Yep. We have to lash out at them. We have to attack them because if we have been worshiping this idol that we are now seeing is false, yep. then we need to attack it to tell ourselves that we still have control over our lives. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is like, <laughs> it's, it's a very deep way to interpret making fun of celebrities on Twitter. Right. It kind of makes no, sense. No, but it's true though. Yeah. I think it's true. And it kind of goes back to in mastery with how like exactly. the mentor. Yep. Yeah. When the mentor-mentee relationship breaks down, there's going to be a natural lashing out because they need to establish themselves as individuals again. Yeah. I loved how he showed Freud and Jung uh, oh, with yeah. this about the contrast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jung had to like distance himself and criticize some of Freud's work. Yeah. Or like create. how Freud would be like, you have death wishes against me. When, <laughs> yeah. Like, we are not friends. Yeah. yeah. And then like Jung would have these almost like passive aggressive comments. Back. Yeah. It seems like very catty. <laughs> yeah. That was one of the fun parts of the book. You know, I didn't know that much about Freud. Either so not, yeah. it was hard for me to follow some of the criticisms. Yeah. But just seeing his analysis of their relationship and then like bringing in Rang 
Link and these other guys, like all of that interplay I thought was was pretty was interesting. Really interesting. It's yeah. kind of like uh, there's a good book by Will Durant called The Story of Philosophy. Okay. And he basically traces the history of philosophy, but as a continuing narrative of like one philosopher influencing the next one. And there's a lot of this in there too, where it's like one philosopher who's really popular will be getting old and then another one will be coming onto the scene by taking parts of them and like criticizing parts of it. And it's just like continual interplay and mentor, mentor or mentee, mentor and like lashing out at each other. It's just like a very common theme. Uh, I mean, we see it in like technology too, right? Yeah. It's like, what's the, what's the phrase? Like technology advances one, like uh, science, one advances, ob- right? science advances, like one obituary at a time. Yeah. Right. Who said that? I forget who said that. I can't remember either, but. Someone famous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes these people have to like die out for their predecessors to like fully challenge and overthrow their ideas. It was even like I've heard that criticism of Einstein too is like apparently when he was younger, he was much more self-critical of his own ideas and was willing to sort of like iterate on them. But then he got more entrenched as he got older, which seems to be the case for in general. Yeah, I think he basically started holding back quantum quantum physics because it didn't jive with his theory. And so he like... Yeah. So, I mean, which a lot of, I mean, like, we still haven't solved it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) If Einstein couldn't figure it out, you know? (laughs) But yeah, so then he goes into this first real chapter about the terror of death, right? And how this is where he's starting to argue that it's this denial of death, effectively, that is our main, like, psychological challenge. And he explains some of it through what we have used as heroes historically, right? So the hero has always been the one who could, like, go into the spirit world, go into the underworld, right? You've got, like, Hercules going down into the underworld to, like... Hades. Yeah, to deal with Hades, right? Uh, And that seems to be with, like, every uh, society seem to have hero myths like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like extremely common theme. And then he mentions too, like Christianity, right? Jesus is the healer who rose from the dead, Yep. right? It's a very common theme that's like played out across basically all religions. Yeah. I mean, the native, the massive Native American myth book that I'm almost done with now. Oh, yeah. I've been talking about that since we started (laughs) this podcast. Um, It's also like, it's broken up into like two or three page myths, essentially. So it's not like a coherent story that you yeah. just have to finish. You read it piece by piece. Yeah, exactly. You just read it when you sort of feel like it. And it's not like you're missing part of the story. But there's tons of stories of it, like that are very similar to that, where it's like somebody dies and comes back or like a person, a human being goes into the, you know, sort of the land of the dead and comes back. And yeah, it's just like, it's amazing that in that culture too, it's kind of similar. You see similar motifs as like even the Jesus theme. Right. Well, and then on a simpler level, like Dante's Inferno, right? It's like you have this, you know, semi-mythical person who is actually able to go into the underworld and then leave. Right. right? And that is somebody that we end up idolizing because they have essentially conquered death. Yeah. And that is ultimately what every single one of us wants to do. And it's the primary motivation for what we're doing in most of our lives. I wonder if that's maybe now I'm like psychoanalyzing too many too much with other people, but I wonder if like part of that is what's behind like almost like the Silicon Valley obsession with like immortality. Oh, definitely. In some ways, right? Well, I I think as I was reading this, that's what I was thinking of too. Yeah. (laughs) Is that, and that's always been kind of the criticism of uh, Kurzweil, right? Kurzweil. Because I was thinking him like Peter Thiel, like people like that. Yeah. Because like Kurzweil is old. I think he's in his 80s now. Okay. And so like, he's probably going to die relatively soon. Is he doing like the cryogenic? uh, I I assume he is. Yeah. If there's anybody who's doing it, it must be him. Right, exactly. But he, he also makes the most aggressive predictions on when we're going to have right. transcendence and it's kind of like he's like the right. musk like the elon musk like overly ambitious yeah exactly for- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but it's sort of like all right do you actually think that transcendence will happen in the next 10 years or is that just you wanting it to happen in 10 years because you kind of need it to yeah right it's also right and yeah. so there's a lot of ways that our own mortality will influence how we 
see the world. And I mean, he mentions it here too, right? Like we evolved to be really anxious about things. Yeah. You should read this. This Uh, is such a good quote. You want to just read it off? Oh, sure. Yeah. Early men who were most afraid were those who were most realistic about their situation in nature, and they passed on to their offspring a realism that had a high survival value. The result was the emergence of man as we know him, a hyper-anxious animal who constantly invents reasons for anxiety even when there are none. We see this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not even we see this. We do this we all do this, the time. Yeah. Like, That's why yeah. I stopped drinking coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found that if I if I had, you know, like a full cup of coffee, suddenly I was just inventing anxiety yeah. left and right. <laughs> something about being really stimulated. That made you just like think about all the things that could go wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. When you see other people do it too, right? Especially if you have a different perspective from them where they'll get really anxious about something and then you can see like, well, it's kind of a silly thing to be anxious about. Uh, oh, yeah. The best is like when uh, like, they don't want to hear that. Right. That's, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to help them at all. No. But like, uh yeah if you've ever traveled with somebody who's like scared of flying Mm. it's pretty interesting especially if you're not scared of flying right like everything they're worried about is like not what you would be worried about right (laughs) like you're like oh we're just taking off like i think a lot of fears yeah right right. and i'm just using that one because that's like to me i would view that and then like think like well there's nothing to be afraid of right it's probably more scary to be in a car (laughs) oh yeah but then like i'm sure i have plenty of things that i do that to me i'm like wow that's so scary Mm -hmm. but like someone else might look at that and just be like what are you so scared of yeah exactly (laughs) like what's wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) we all just sort of invent these anxieties and these reasons to worry and they seem really important and serious to us but to outsiders they usually seem like kind of trivial and sometimes of course they're fairly legitimate right like if your kid is out playing in traffic it's probably a good thing to be anxious about but (laughs) like your kid walking around the block is probably going to be okay but you're going to again invent which block okay (laughs) probably (laughs) uh but and then like even that's a perfect example because that anxiety is coming from this desire for immortality right and if your child is hurt or dead that is part of your immortality project right your child can't die yeah or else you are no longer immortal right so you have to be anxious about everything that they do and that's where you get helicopter parents and depressed teenagers and just all sorts of bad things i wonder if too like um books like this i don't know make me much more introspective yeah and like critic so maybe self-critical might be a better word okay it, it made me actually think of like what this especially this quote the inventing reasons for anxiety thing yeah like okay i'm a, like i think that the sort of campus free speech issue is a big issue mm-hmm. but then like part of me makes me th- like any sort of like slippery slope type of argument makes me think that i'm falling into this trap this like hyper anxious like inventing anxiety issue okay because like Okay, yes, it's a problem. Like, there's things that are going on on campuses that are a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. But then it's, like, a definitely a stretch to say there's, like, no free speech. Right. On campus, right? But, like, I would word it if I was explaining it to someone. I'd be like, it's the death of free speech on campus, <laughs> right? But, like, yeah. that's probably not that true yet. But, like, right. we're, we're sort of projecting. But you can see it is, moving in that yes, direction. exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So, it's so like, the anxiety is where it might end up. Ex- that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So it's like not there yet. And so it's hard to know, are you inventing this anxiety or is it a real anxiety? Real. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's so much of, it's just like anything with the future, right? Or I mean, any anxiety actually has to do with something in the future, right? That's You're true, usually right. not, I mean, I think that's the definition of anxiety is like a fear about something in the future. Something right? that could happen. Something that could happen. Because if it's already happening, then you're sort of already responding to it. But anxiety is like just putting energy into worrying. And this is where I think stoicism is useful, right? I think uh, episode three, letters <laughs> from a stoic. But 
because uh, it talks about it, right? Is it says that, you know, if it hasn't happened yet, then like save your energy for when it actually happens and then you can deal with it, yep. but don't waste energy now worrying about it if it hasn't actually happened yet. It's also uh, amazing how much less worrying the things are when they actually happen. Yeah. Or how much less bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or, you know, they just never happen, right? There's right. so many things. I know. That's that, so true. And actually, I would say that every, you know, big bad thing that has happened to me is not something I ever predicted or worried about. <laughs> that's and a good every, episode. Yeah, that's, that would be a good episode too. Well, that's that like Black, Black Swan. Swan that's Black Swan. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Every yeah, every big bad thing that's happened to me, I could not have predicted. And everything that I worried about happening that was bad, like really just hasn't happened. Or it just wasn't as bad as Yeah, you or it just wasn't it. nearly as bad. Yeah. It was like a small thing. <laughs> right. right. So yeah, it's no reason to worry. Just chill out everyone. But we are all going to die. So yeah, that's that, for sure. That part we have to worry about. Unless, hey, you know, maybe Chris Wall pulls it off. <laughs> yeah, Peter Thiel, Facebook maybe. cures disease, you know. You've I'm got, not betting on that, though. I don't think. Not betting on it. Well, I'm also, I mean, we'll come back to this later. I'm not sure that's desirable. Either, right, exactly. Right. Yep. Which is sort of uh, an awkward place to be. And it's like, well, I really don't want to die, but maybe we need that motivation, right? Yeah. Because if his argument is correct, if Becker is right, then we need death to motivate us to do anything in life. If you have infinite time. Right then like what point right. right like oh i can do this in 100 years right yeah we can do this podcast we can do this podcast in 100 years, years. Yeah. there's no rush yeah. <laughs> even 100 years is like a second right, right. on a long enough if time scale forever yeah, yeah. and forever is a long time well and forever is also not desirable because right. we're eventually going to hit you know heat death of the universe yep. and like all matter will be so spread out that uh nothing can really like congeal into forms that we think of today right it's just like hit max entropy and like what you want to be alive for that right like how will you yeah. even survive that right. you can't Exactly. right you'll just be ripped apart exactly so yeah this, you're gonna it's, have to die at some point I, and i think it's um so i think yeah it's so interesting because like some of the silicon valley obsession right is mm -hmm. probably just like like i bet becker like i wonder if becker was alive today like what how he would comment on this yeah so not even just like the kurzweil stuff but even like it almost seems i haven't been to sf in like six months so maybe people are not think, saying this kind of stuff anymore but i I just feel like it's almost gospel that we're going to be able to like upload our consciousness to a computer, live forever. And like, but like, what does forever mean? I, is I it still so you? Is it like, yeah, you know, there's like all these questions that are almost not asked <laughs> about right. any of that stuff. Well, it's also just, and it's not like, all San Francisco uh, people. Sorry, SF people listening to this, but <laughs> it's also just sort of like a crony belief type thing where it's like, none of them have actually thought through like the, consciousness part of it it's like right obviously we will create computers that can simulate a human brain yes. that part is like that doesn't seem far-fetched yeah that's not far-fetched yeah. at all like that's gonna happen probably in the next 10 15 years yes. but the step of like moving your brain into a computer right. is just like no way right because it's it's such a ridiculous argument it's like you either believe that mind and brain are separate in which case you believe in a soul right and yeah. <laughs> that doesn't seem like what like most silicon valley types would argue or you believe that the mind is part of the brain and right. if it's part of the brain then that is not some other thing you can transfer into a right. computer right? right so there's and almost so like this asymptote where exactly. it just like breaks no down other, yeah yeah like we can definitely simulate neil on a computer yep but will it be neil exactly all of us looking at it would think it's neil and would you be willing to be that person who kills your own brain exactly to, to yeah. go in right because would you still be there <laughs> well it's, we it's had this sort conversation of like the, uh, in, uh, i think in the geb episode maybe slightly it was one of, the episodes. one of the episodes yeah it's kind of like the teleportation argument right yep. yeah exactly like you can teleport, teleport instantly to mars uh, and then when you get there, so like you're, you're copied here, you're recreated there, and then the version of you that's here is like destroyed, yep. right? And it's like, okay, whatever. And it's like, all right, now here's another version. Uh, we copy you, we destroy you. 
and then 10 minutes later we recreate you on mars like are you okay with that version of it and then suddenly it's like hmm something (laughs) something seems off here right uh have you read waking up by sam harris no i haven't so he makes a really compelling argument in that and i've read it other places too and i'm fairly convinced of it that like the mind is a separate thing is really just an emergent illusion uh in which case yeah we've talked about it a good amount right and so the eye you're saying like yeah the eye you go like the that there is a me a thinker yeah right like that's just sort of an illusion it's just the brain it's all reactionary at a really high level uh and we it's like an abstraction that we use yeah uh, or that has evolved i guess well and is and that is useful for our survival and evolution as a species right because without a consciousness and a ability to like think about mortality and to you know project into the future you couldn't do everything humans have done right it's like necessary so in that sense then do animals not have that or do they have it to lesser extents I would assume they have it to lesser extents, right? Because we know that uh, monkeys and dolphins and stuff have right. some self-awareness. Right. Like they can recognize themselves in mirrors and things like that. And they can like learn some language, right? Do we know if they have the same type of like anxiety type of things, which I think would actually show that you're projecting in the future. I assume, right? I, I think they do. Well, I mean, here's a perfect example, right? Uh, have you ever watched uh, Blackfish? No. I know I know what it is though. Yeah, it's a really sad movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when they take the orca or the uh, killer whales babies away from her to take them somewhere else, she like cries for days, right? And that would seem to indicate some at least understanding, right? Of what is of, what has just happened. Yeah, of what yeah. has happened, right? And maybe it implies a kind of anxiety. I guess you could just say it's like pure animal reaction, right? Like, oh, you know, she's See, got that's some... that's argument you could say for anything humans do as well. well that, that's right? the, that's the like, flip side of it. Yeah, so you can say that for humans as well, right? It's like, we don't actually, you know care about our children we just biologically know that that is how our genes are going to be propagated and so we need to protect them right it's like the whole selfish gene argument yeah right it's like the genes that allowed us to like not kill our children and like feed them to their parents the ones that won out because those people replicated over time right it's funny enough this came up uh recently i was on a flight and i was watching uh, i think it was i think it's the most recent fast and furious movie and they brought up that argument really isn't that because (laughs) they took one of the uh characters they took one of his children or his Uh, only child to basically coerce to blackmail him into doing certain things got it and the the villain she was saying that uh she was like you know this thing you're feeling is a survival instinct that has just been passed down because your ancestors were the ones who didn't have their children eaten at the watering hole by crocodiles yeah (laughs) so when you think about it it's like not that rational like you can you can always make more kids like it's not that difficult like not so much with women though right i guess less so for women women should have more built in like because for men you really shouldn't care because you could have when your seven dies yeah it's like like you can just keep making them right but i I guess maybe it's part of like a tribal thing too that we evolved to well it probably just was if you cared you're well also if you already invested 10 years yeah exactly resources right you got that sunk cost exactly sunk cost fallacy (laughs) it's a terrible way to think about (laughs) fallacy it's not a fallacy because i think it's like think about how hard those resources like i was this is maybe a tangent it's very much related but it is also good, probably going to take us on a tangent and just to be clear i'm not recommending infanticide here <laughs> no 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 no. that's not what we're saying but i'm so i'm saying actually the, literally the opposite is like if you have like a 10 year old who gets eaten by a crocodile yeah in like prehistoric days or something it's like a huge tragedy because the amount of calories that a, a human has to consume to even make it to 10 years old mm. is immense especially in a scarce resource environment yeah that's true so now you just lost those 10 years of resources on the flip side you have one less mouth consuming you resources. do but people were gathering at a very early age that's well. true they were so helping. it's like you yeah. weren't you weren't like a net got you weren't a minus yeah yeah um but i was thinking about that the other day of just like how many calories are consumed in the u.s just even the u.s mm, yeah. assuming 2000 
per person because right. some people are more and some people are probably less actually it's probably more than 2000 because yeah let's just we're, say we're like 40 percent obesity let's just say 2000 just for ease <laughs> <laughs> it's probably it's much more than that yeah but then and multiply that by only 300 million people not even it's like closer to 350 now i think mm-hmm. but let's just say 300 it's that's a lot, a lot. that's per day yeah and that's assuming nobody's eating more than 2000 <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's an it's, especially when you consider that like a pound of beef has about a thousand calories right so it's a lot of food yeah Yeah. it's like a miracle that we can feed ourselves it actually it's remarkable well i uh there's a it's not an article but it's an old um wait but why round table it was like a a discussion or something where it was like a witch shows up and she like waves a magic wand and removes all technology everything that we've ever built and all the humans just like on the ground like back to state of nature and she says that when uh, kind of like a what's the electromagnetic uh yeah kind of like an emp all the buildings and everything are gone oh okay okay. right so not just electronics yeah not just electronics everything everything is gone uh and she says that as soon as you recreate the iphone everything will come back right and then the question is well how long will it take for those humans to recreate the iphone right because you don't have any of the minds for you Wait, know, why the iphone it's just a random object right like it oh, doesn't matter like a that magic. it's iphone oh okay that's it's like, not that like because i was thinking i was like wait so is it the ability to connect to the internet so no, no the internet no. still exists or no, like nothing exists nothing anymore. exists so it's all just your bitcoin wallets are gone too bitcoin wallets are gone too <laughs> <laughs> but like you're, you're, you're all back to state of nature right and but one of the points that i don't know if tim urban made it or somebody in the comments made it was that if all of if that many people immediately went back to state of nature like 99 percent of them would starve to death in yeah. the first couple months yeah. right and most of them would not have water either like it'd be even hard for us yeah because like we can't drink the hudson <laughs> right? right we'd have to like get inland somewhere with clean water and then you i mean just the number of people who would be right here and you have like immediate fighting and everything like the fact that we can feed this many people remarkable so, yeah and it also shows like fragility too it's like because we don't know like 99 probably more i would say much more than 99 percent, even probably like 99.9 percent of people that's not true. I was going to say 99.9% of people in the world don't know how to feed themselves, but then I realized that most much of the world is still uh, not subsistence, right? Uh, maybe. I get probably in rural China and stuff. Yeah, but- Africa... Like India has a lot of farmers yeah, still. I guess it's probably still a good number. Population wise, they have a lot of people. We would in be China. Yeah, I'm saying like US yeah. wise, there's very few people that know how to like feed themselves. Oh yeah. If yeah. there were no grocery stores, like I bet exactly. some people listening to this are like, well, I just go to Whole Foods. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I get it delivered on Amazon yeah, Fresh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that will not be here anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, but it's really in- it's it's really a miracle that we can like that we can feed ourselves seriously as a society. So. All right. So what, I guess, end of the tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping back in. <laughs> back into the book. Um, so the next section is basically some basic psychoanalytic ideas. Yeah. And I think he's trying to reframe them a little bit because you know, psychoanalysis was Freud's big whole thing. And most of this book is a challenge to Freud. And I think he's here trying to challenge some of the those main concepts. The biggest thing that stood out to me was just how like, He's arguing that bigotry and censorship come from this fear of our own morality being undermined. So we each have our own individual worldview, and then we will lash out at others with different worldviews because if they are right, even partially, it means that our own grasp on reality has been undermined and been challenged and like we're wrong. And then we're kind of like lost in the ether without meaning. And we come back to this more later with transference, but we all need something to latch on to. Most of us aren't. Yeah, most of us aren't stable in of ourselves. I would say none of us are. Yeah, none really, of us are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> even it, and this is almost like a uh, strange loop phenomenon, but it's mm-hmm. like if you, let's say you're not anchored to anything, 
you're sort of anchored then to the idea of not being anchored to anything. Exactly. You're anchored to your own nihilism. Yeah. Yeah. It's like very strange. It's like you can't get out of this anchoring. Yeah. You're, you're stuck no point. matter what. Right? Yeah. And it's very, it's terrifying to not be anchored. Yeah. In some way. You're, I, I think your metaphor of like free, like floating in the ether is probably mm-hmm. a really, really apt one. He, he kind of mentions it at the end where he says that if you're not anchored to something in the real world, like a project or an idea or whatever, then you're probably anchored to psychology textbooks. Yeah. <laughs> or like self-help books yeah like self-help like, books yeah. like no i have to like free myself of all of this right and it's like well then you're just you know you're hooked on your buddhism or whatever yep right yeah it's like that is an idea in itself the not being anchored is itself a belief and exactly. ideology and so you're just anchored to that one right right exactly it's truly it's uh strange well it's kind of like we talked about in way of zen the yep. problem with the indian buddhism desire of like desiring to not desire right right we're you even in game tennis yeah, and it's like trying, trying to, to not try. Right. Yeah. yeah. Can't escape. Go to Lutcherbach. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like the next section had a bit more to me about like human character. Yep. As a little more lie. meat. Yeah. And uh, he's got this great line about how life is this chaos that we're all lost within. And we're kind of afraid of finding ourselves face to face with that reality. So we try to hide it behind like fantasies and these clear ideas about like trying to understand the world, how we think the world actually works, you know, how we're interpreting all of it. But it's all just this mythology that we create so that we don't have to face like the total chaos. And it's kind of like this, uh, this shared mythology idea that allows us all to operate. I can't remember. Oh, Sapiens. Yeah. Yeah. Where he talks about it in Sapiens where it's like pretty much everything that we think exists is just a shared mythology right. like money right, right. Yeah. or politics or human yeah. rights or any of these things like none of them are real right they're just <laughs> you know ideas that we all agree on and that allow us to kind of like uh, this is actually a quotation from jose ortega you is in the beginning we find these mythologies and cling to them because they let us hide from the underlying chaos of the world yeah which is totally i mean like if you really break down your experience of life that is so true <laughs> yeah well and it also i imagine in disaster situations right i don't a know a lot how of much those assumptions true. break down and well i was gonna say the flip side is that people will create new assumptions right like oh, oh people somebody will save us like we'll be okay right and that is a way to comfort yourself to not face the reality of the situation right and i'm sure we all do this in a lot of ways oh, uh, yeah. i mean like okay startup entrepreneurship world like you know customers will show up right right like <laughs> yeah we're, we're about to take off uh you know if we just get this funding then like our business will take off or or you know it's like oh they're definitely gonna invest the money in us like there's no way they couldn't like this is great right we all create these comforting mythologies right. to avoid the real world these like hopes almost yeah exactly it's comfortable veil or every like and every group kind of has their own shared mythology too that's kind of like on you can't break you can't question that mm-hmm. right I, you see it in politics probably more than anything but it's yeah. probably true in everything uh but for politics it's like very clear that like you know if somebody is part of the like quote like liberal camp or the quote conservative camp there are like certain things that are just unquestionable in those camps like yeah. respective camps yeah and it's like even if an individual within those starts to think about those and they're like well maybe there's another side to this like either side will like immediately like disown them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's because if that person is right, then your own beliefs have been undermined. Right. Exactly. Right? Yep. Which is like a hard thing to deal with. Uh, I mentioned it a little bit. You're before, floating in the ether at that point. Yeah, you're floating in the ether and like you don't know what's true anymore. Uh, there is there's this amazing article called Crony Beliefs okay. by Kevin.
Kevin Simler, and he talks about this a lot. Uh, his blog is Ribbon Farm. It's really good, or not oh. Ribbon Farm, um, Melting Asphalt. Yes, that's a good, yeah. great, really good blog. He also yeah. writes on Ribbon Farm. But yeah, so he's got this article, Crony Beliefs, where he basically talks about information we should think of as having like objective value, right? So if it is a true belief, a truly useful belief, we'll have no emotional attachment to it because we always want that belief to be updated, right? The example he uses is if you come to me and you tell me that like my daughter's soccer game is at six and I thought it was at seven, like I'll be grateful, right? I'm not going to lash out be like, no, it's at seven, right? Because like that information is useful. But sometimes when we hear information, we lash out emotionally. Like information that's contradictory to what we know? Or? Well, that's what I was about to say, is that it's that usually means that that information challenges some belief that we have adopted in order to fit in with a group or with part of society. So on some level, we know that that belief is not 100% accurate, but we adopt it and espouse it because it helps us fit in or it helps us stand out or you know be a good leader or any of these things. And so if you catch yourself reacting emotionally to an idea... That is a sign that the stance you are holding is probably crony in some ways. It's probably a belief you are holding because it helps you fit in or like get some other benefit besides objective truth. Got it. Yeah. And that's like a really useful, a really useful thing. I'm yeah. trying to do more of that where when I catch myself reacting emotionally to an idea, it's like, all right, what belief is that challenging and why do I have an emotional like hold on it? Right. Like what is what's causing that? Yeah. Yeah. Where is that coming from? Yeah. Uh, and you'll catch them all the time. Like you won't get yourself all of it because it's like it's again it's that emotional reaction it's right. hard to control it's hard to yeah because you need uh, to have almost like the conscious driver like person in the driver's seat in your brain yeah. kind of like able to catch you in that emotional moment when because emotions kind of overtake everything exactly a lot of times right yeah. so yeah it's like i mean i've been doing this keto diet and a couple of people on my email list were just like really against it oh really okay yeah who were very like oh but don't you lift weights like you can't exercise on keto you're gonna like have so much muscle loss and get so much weaker da, da, da. and Sure enough, like a couple of these guys are personal trainers, <laughs> right? And so the whole time I'm getting these emails from them and going back and forth, I'm like, how many clients have you told to eat a relatively high carbohydrate diet? And now somebody with like at least a small audience is saying that people shouldn't eat you know, carbohydrates that they can be fine not eating carbohydrates. And so how much of this is an emotional reaction from you based on like your existing belief? Yeah. Right. That you're it doesn't totally undermine their argument. But when you see somebody reacting emotionally too, you can also ask like, is that belief at least partially crony from something in their life? Yep. Right. Yeah. Like I've heard in a completely non-fitness related context, I've heard uh, people say like, well, you need to go to college to live a, like, what is it? Like, oh, every person should go to college yeah. so they can live a good mm -hmm. life. And it's like, there are so many assumptions in that sentence. Well, and most of the people who are arguing that either, you know, went to college, right. especially if they took on debt. Yeah. Right. Then they have to keep justifying that they took on that debt or they're a parent who paid for their kids to go to college and they don't want to believe that college may not be necessary or even beneficial right. because then they would have to admit that they might have wasted, you know, four hundred thousand dollars. Right. Load of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like a hard thing to do. It's like, yeah. So like all of your conscious energy will say like, no, 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 no that can't be right. 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 And yeah. like we all do this with so many things and it's like really hard to fight. That it's impulse. way easier to see when other people do it than when you do it. Oh, it's so much easier. So much easier. Yeah. <laughs> Because I'm sure we do that too. I'm sure there's like yeah. beliefs that we have. Like if somebody said, like if somebody came up to me right now, this I don't know if the status true. Or like I know generally that the status true, but mm -hmm. if they said like, oh, most companies fail, so most likely your company will fail too. Yeah, right. There's like probably an objective part that's definitely true that like most probably that is like the result that most startups have yeah right is that they do end up going out of business mm -hmm. but if someone came up and said that to me my first instinct would be like to punch them <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I would be like, what's like, what is wrong with you? Why would you say that? Yeah. You know what I mean though? Like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, but that's me falling into this like emotional trap where exactly. it's like, there's in a belief that I've entrenched myself in that is like, startups are good. Right. And like objectively, maybe, but like objectively also many of them do fail. Exactly. Well, Most of them do fail. He's right? so. that person is also attacking part of your immortality exactly. project. Yep. Right. That's Which totally is, true. you know, yep. back to what Becker's saying here, like we need these things to pour our identity and right. our so hope for immortality they're into that. They're attacking me. Exactly. They're attacking me and me forever. Yeah. My immortality. You and you yeah. forever. Right? Yeah. And that that's part of what Becker says here too, with like ideas and ideologies where people will defend them so emotionally and irrationally because it is part of how they see themselves transcending their mortal form right it's like okay you know we, we always pick on sjw so we're gonna do it here too right it's like <laughs> i thought you were gonna do I thought you were gonna go the opposite direction and be like uh, well, we're gonna give them some props here no 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 i'm gonna say that <laughs> part, part of why they react so emotionally to something as simple as like using typical sex pronouns yeah. is that they have they you know people who react that emotionally to something don't have like a meaning in their life that is like personal and that you know they're pouring their energy into so yeah. they find an ideology to latch onto and then pour their emotional energy into that and then any attack on that ideology becomes an attack on them personally and so they have to react emotionally they have to lash out right right and then the challenge for all of us they is would like, almost react less strongly if you literally hit them probably you know what i mean like you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean like i was thinking about that too for the entrepreneurship example yeah. that i just gave it was like I would probably be more offended by somebody saying something like that. Yeah, than by somebody like, just like punching you. Yeah, because at least I know it's like, okay, this is ex like, this is just, they're just hitting me. They're not hitting me forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So for these SJWs, it's probably like, they, it probably feels like you're hitting them forever when you criticize or don't follow sort of what their yeah. project is. Well, and he, Becker mentions this at some point in the book too, that this is part of where ideologies draw their strength mm -hmm. is that they get people to invest in them. Them by doing things that are unnatural right so somebody like you know picking on people on facebook for using the wrong gender pronouns right that's not something they would have normally done three or four years ago yeah. but the more they do that the more entrenched they become in that ideology and so the more emotionally they will react to any challenges of it because they have now like pre-committed so much like energy and effort into it that they can't like back out now right right it's like the more you follow this leader you the more you follow any ideology right like uh atheist reddit is a perfect example of yes, this too gets, right i mean they, they like it's don't believe insane. in anything but then they believe in that so they strongly believe in it so strongly yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and that's uh, i think it's becker talks about this too is that we all need something that we can cling to really strongly and most of us at some point will go from clinging super strongly to our parents to clinging to something else right right and then it becomes sort that's of a transference yeah that's the right? transference like, yeah. right it becomes a jumping between things that we cling to and like the, the atheist subreddit is a perfect example it's like a lot of these people may have been you know christian or whatever before and then they decided like oh that's not true but they are clinging just as hard if not harder to atheism as they right. were to religion and at the same time they are like criticizing making fun of people who cling to religion right right it's like <laughs> how do you not see <laughs> well actually the funny the thing that's really interesting is there was a um in uh i think it was in majid nuaz's book mm -hmm. radical we was talking about how like uh, people who are most likely to get radicalized and you know there's a lot of different aspects but one thing he said that they did look for would be people who were extremely not religious because mm. you sort of have to be on an extreme on one end yeah. or the other like if you're agnostic like you just don't care it's you're probably not a good target to exactly. become like become a radical like whatever radical christian or radical muslim or whatever type of radical you want to you want to be right like 
if somebody's agnostic, they're probably not the right target. But if somebody's like a militant atheist or like extreme atheist, they probably could be converted to a radical something, you know, because uh, they're just clinging. So so it's transference. You want to just transfer that all that sort of clinging from atheism to right. whatever the religion would be. And back to the you know denial of death, it's so much easier to get your meaning in life, to get your immortality project out of something that requires like no effort from yeah. you, right? Yeah. It's like you could, you know, create great art or, uh, you know, write an amazing book or start a social movement or something, or you could yell at people on Facebook, yeah. right? And the latter is yeah. much easier, but you still get that psychological hit from yeah. doing it. And I think like we all know these people, and I, I've definitely been this way with some things where they kind of like jump from obsession to obsession, right? Oh, totally. My, um, actually my, uh, I think by the time this episode comes out, he would have announced it publicly. If not, okay. whatever. Sorry, Jay. Um, he's <laughs> producing, and my brother is Jay is producing and acting in a short film about cults. Sweet, uh, super interesting. And uh, like he, he and another person wrote the script, and I've read it. And later on, they haven't filmed it yet. It's filming this weekend, actually. Mm-hmm. Super, super interesting. And I think like you personally would really enjoy it. Cool. But it's super cool because it's like looking at like almost how a lot of like the self help communities are mini cults of okay. their own. Mark Manson actually talks about this too. Like how there was that article, like you don't need another self-help book oh, or something. Okay. And he basically just criticizes this whole idea that like your salvation is one book or one video or video one away. Yeah. podcast away. Uh, it's an easy trap to fall into. It's an easy trap to fall into. Yeah. And you you kind of see it with some of the people exactly. in certain like self-help yeah. communities where it's like very clear. Certain, I would say almost all of them are yeah. so made up of like the majority of people, not everybody in those communities. Like I feel like you like being like it's harder to observe ourselves. Right. So like. Yeah me observing you over the last few years, I feel like you get into these communities, you get what you need out of them, and then you sort of like move on to the next thing. Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. Like I definitely have seen myself get pretty obsessed with certain communities. No, but you also incorporate it though. You actually do it. Like I've seen, like even with work cleans, a really simple example of just a recent one is like, you were obsessed with that book. Dude, the apartment's way cleaner now, right? No, it's way, <laughs> way cleaner. Like I've seen your just even style of like organizing things. Like you literally taking the lessons from that book, incorporate them into your life. And now you're like on to the next thing. Like that's a good way. That's like the healthy way to do it, I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. It's like you can be reasonably obsessed with something as long as it doesn't become your religion. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, like I mean, I see that in like Tim Ferriss' community too. It's not his fault. That's the example it's I was going to use. Fault. Yeah, yeah but and I feel like that might be part of why he has moved away from some of that stuff. The like, like lifestyle the four hours. Yes, exactly. Because yep. that community gets really yeah. Like, uh, and I've I've done some of this too. Militantly it's, passionate, yeah, militantly about passionate, and also super critical of people working normal jobs, right? And like, I have to check myself with that too because I can be kind of like down on that too much sometimes. But it's like really easy to get in that community to be hanging out with all these other people in you know bank. Thailand, working online and be like, yeah, people with real jobs are losers. Like, oh, we've got it figured out. We've got the good life. Right. Like every community has some sort of like super strong version of it that it's easy to like latch onto and derive your meaning from. Totally. And I would say, um, obviously, again, not and it's not all lifestyle business people are like that. And just like so I was going to say for some there is like a subset of uh, developers I would say, who view like people who do any other type of work as like not real work. I'm oh, using air yeah. quotes. Did you get that comment at CMU sometimes too? Like, yeah. it's definitely not not every develop, not every CS person at CMU felt like that, right? There's, right. I'd say, the most of them did not feel like that. But there's definitely a subset that was like, if it's not programming, it's not real. Exactly. Yeah, and you're, like, not, you're not doing totally real work. Not true. You don't, <laughs> you don't deserve a high income. Yeah. Like I do real work. And then yeah. the other version of that is developers who criticize other developers' styles and ways of programming. Oh. Do you know Peter Levels, the guy? who made nomad list mm. 
I don't know him, but I know Nomad okay. List and I've yeah. heard his name before. So he's the guy who made Nomad List and Remote OK and Hood Maps and all these other pretty cool sites. And he's just like a solo guy, just codes all the websites himself. And he's kind of famous for making what would typically be called really messy code. <laughs> so he'll just do, uh, so like if you go on Remote works. OK, well, that's the thing. So if you go on Remote OK, it's a remote jobs board. It makes like $10,000 a month for him or something. Nice. It is written in <laughs> one file of PHP, one PHP file in the index. And it's just like a thousand lines. It's like he basically uses no libraries, no extensions, wow. anything, just raw PHP in one file. Uh, just brute forced it. Just, yeah, just brute forced it. it. Yeah. Like, no then, elegance, no, like, doesn't care. Doesn't care. He's doesn't like, matter. you know what? This works for me. And yep. I'm the only person working on it. So yeah. it doesn't matter. Yep. But he posts that stuff on Twitter. And if you look at the comments when he tweets about it, it's just all these developers like, you're a terrible coder. What are you doing? Like, you can't write code like that. And obviously, none of these people have like launched a successful business. <laughs> of They're just like sitting in their basements yelling at people on Twitter. Right, because like their PHP is better, but it's like levels makes tens of thousands of right, dollars a so month, like, like writing messy code. So who cares? Yeah, it doesn't right? matter. Yeah, it <laughs> like the site works perfectly well. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I don't know. It's always funny seeing those militant ideologies come out, especially when it's a community you aren't part of. It's much easier to see when you're not part of the community. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find myself doing it too for like craft beer sometimes, where it's like, oh, that brewery is owned by like Anheuser Busch. It can't make good uh, beer, but it might be beer. great beer. It might be unbelievably good beer, but just because they're like the owner shouldn't affect the taste of the beer you know like it can mm-hmm. but just because it's owned by somebody doesn't mean that the beer won't taste good exactly like yeah well so, and it, it gets bad at the craft beer community too sure. it's like <laughs> it's just like any of these communities people get like very militant about when you're talking about something. selling out in the beer oh, community yeah. right if you oh, like yeah. sell your craft beer <laughs> company to anheuser too i feel like oh, most sure. industries right yeah yeah but if somebody sells out it's like they're viewed very negatively. Exactly. Oh, loser, right? Like, yeah. well, why are you hating on somebody for succeeding? Yeah. They're like, what is your goal? To- I saw one blog post recently that went viral and I was like, uh, it's this brewery out of San Diego called Modern Times. They've been really successful. I've visited them. They have really good beer. And the owner has basically made it employee-owned. So they were investor, like they did have investors and stuff and you know, to fund growth, but then they grew so rapidly they did a lot of like stock buybacks. Mm-hmm. So the company then owned all the stock and then they just started issuing it out in terms of uh, as part of compensation. Okay. So now it's like there's no investors in it anymore. They're like fully employee-owned and it's been around for a long time. So maybe like 15 years or so. So it's been a it's not like an overnight success type right. of thing. Uh, um, the guy wrote a blog post that I was not the biggest fan of, okay. where basically he like gave some not so subtle shots at any brewery that sold out. He's like, I think it was something that like anybody who tells you they sold out, like they couldn't say no to the money mm. is like lying to you. They could have easily done this kind of thing. And I'm like, it might have been true with your investors who were open to being bought out. But like if someone else has other investors who just are waiting for the exit, there's like nothing they can do. Right. Like you took investors, you got sort of lucky that your investors were open to something like that, but maybe someone else's investors aren't. Well, and he's got the cognitive dissonance from making that decision, right? Right. So he's going to be more emotionally tied to that belief. Yeah, right? he's making a lot of money too. So it's not like he's not making much money. You know, it has nothing yeah. to do with the money part. He's like, it's not like he like is donating all his money to charity right? <laughs> and saying like, it's not about the money. Like, <laughs> no, you're like a multimillionaire. <laughs> you're doing so, very well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard to catch ourselves yeah. whenever we do that because we all- I'm sure we all fall into that. Oh yeah, we all fall into it. And it it plays into this next section where he's like pulling in some stuff from Kierkegaard. And I love this example of the automatic cultural man. Oh, yeah. Where he's saying that, you know, we all have this intense desire for control over our lives. And we give ourselves that illusion through these really trivial things. I'll, I'll just read from the book. 
This is the perfect description of the automatic cultural man. Man is confined by culture, a slave to it, who imagines that he has an identity if he pays his insurance premium, that he has control of his life if he guns his sports car or works his electric toothbrush, right? It's like whatever little things we can do to feel like we have control yep. that gives us like that sen- a bit more sense of meaning or like it's not all hopeless and we aren't just uh, like getting pulled along by life, right? Yeah, and you see that? more with some people than with other like maybe for us we're doing it with books i think probably we read a lot and well, i think we do it with work too we probably do it with work no we definitely yeah. do it. No, not probably we definitely <laughs> do it with work yeah but i was saying for some other people like they almost do exactly what he's talking about here where like i'm sure you have friends that like i have friends who it seems like every time a device comes out they like have it oh yeah <laughs> and that's like well I, I find that the especially the physical versions of this tendency are really common with people who don't like their jobs that much mm. yes that's so, so true if you don't like your job that much you have to get a sense of control somewhere else and so you buy every really nice new device or you like get a fancy car and you drive it really fast yep. or you uh like go out clubbing every weekend or you're like taking trips all the time because There's not something. necessarily because you like you, you do like those things but you do them more aggressively because it gives you a sense of control to balance out where you don't That's have a control. Really good point you rarely see that like and if somebody has it that control in one aspect of their life they don't they don't need it in other areas yes. I find. yeah yeah so i think a lot of our friends who are like doing their own businesses they're getting it by like overworking the themselves yeah right because yep. like i notice i do that too oh right? yeah same for you get enjoyment out of it you do it's yeah like it's, it's fun like, you feel good yeah and it's sort of like you could grow a business to just like oh okay this makes a million dollars a year it's comfortable like we're yeah. gonna hang out here good. just like chill but i don't know about you i just like i can't do that right, it'd be, right? It'd like be, no like i have to yeah. i have to keep going yeah. <laughs> like, i can't stop here like, or you just get so bored that you just like that you just would quit. let it fall or you'd let it fall apart so you could rebuild it exactly. <laughs> almost <laughs> uh taylor pearson who came on for the crypto episode uh, i think it was like seven yeah one of our most popular and by the way if you had bought Bitcoin, Bitcoin when we did that episode it was that oh wait we talked about bitcoin like two episodes ago no, last week no, no 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 not last week that was yeah two weeks ago two weeks ago yeah something like two weeks ago <laughs> and we were making it was at nine it was at nine yeah, yeah. when we we're recording this no, it, it was, was 10 it was 10 because it just hit that it 10. just hit 10 yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. now it's at like 19 or it's like 19 it hit 19 and then it dropped to 17 now i think it's at 15 i think it's at 15 yeah now. yeah anyway so although you, it's like i would say I've, i haven't talked to taylor like one-on-one about this i would say i've talked to a deal one-on-one about this I'm like, nobody I know who's like smart about crypto, and it could be, maybe, this is obviously just, maybe it's my own network, right? Yeah. There's tons of biases here. Nobody I know who's smart about crypto right now is like incredibly bullish from here about where the price is going in the no. short term. Like long term, yeah. different. Long term, yeah. Short term, yeah. no, everyone's. Like a deal was like, I think, yeah, you're in the chat group as well, mm-hmm. like what the prices they were talking about. And they were like, like yeah, crash could be down to like a thousand, which I would be pretty excited about. Yeah, I'd love to buy in at I that hope it's price. A, hope yeah, it's not 2000. hope it's down to like two hundred. Yeah, that'd be awesome. very happy. <laughs> Suck for all the people I like. I've also heard among my friends who are just getting into crypto now, people are like, "Well, it's going to hit a hundred thousand by next year, so like I'm going to buy a bunch of Bitcoin now." And I'm like, "You should probably careful about read that. more about it yeah. before you do that." Yeah. Well, people <laughs> people have been signing up for Coinbase off like of crazy. my referral code. Okay, so I can see the number How of people, people like getting in on the hype, and they're getting in the wrong time Oof, yeah, yeah. it's like not- uh one of my good friends from cmu actually he's not into tech whatsoever but he's really into finance and he doesn't even work in finance but he's always he's been day trading since probably he was like 18 just always been into it and he loves crypto 
And the thing he loves most right now is like, he's like, I know there's going to be a lot of people who get in right now who are like retail investors. And then as soon as there's like a mini crash that starts happening, they're all going to panic and yeah. the price is going to drop a ton. And he's like, I'm going to, he's like, I can't wait. Buy so like, I'm going to buy so much at that time. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, so he, he was saying the reason this whole system works is because there'll be a lot of people who buy high and sell low. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. That's the only way it'll work. Well, and unfortunately that's probably how it will end up getting regulated too. Exactly. That's exactly is that there's all said. these yeah. like grandparents exactly. right now who are like, Oh, I should buy Bitcoin. Yep. And they're going to buy in, like put some of their retirement fund in it at 20 K it's going to crash to a thousand. And then they're going to like write letters to the SEC because yep. they don't have much else to do. <laughs> going to get regulated. I can't wait until Trump sad. tweets about Bitcoin. It's going to uh, be the best day ever. Yeah. I wonder if it would rally or crash when Trump starts talking about yeah, it. Yeah. It might just be the most volatile day ever. Yeah. Like, whatever it is. Uh, okay. But wait, we okay, I, brought up, I brought up Taylor for some reason. Oh, and then we got sidetracked by, and we got crypto, sidetracked so. by crypto. Oh, we said we'd let the bi- our businesses crash so we oh, could rebuild yes. them. Yes. Okay, yeah. So I was talking to Taylor about this and he mentioned that people who are entrepreneurial, they kind of need like something else to do as well because business isn't that complicated, yeah. right? It's not like quantum <laughs> physics or something. Right. It's like pretty simple usually, right. but because we have so much ADHD and want to feel that sense of control, we will just screw it up for ourselves because we need to like keep doing things and keep pulling levers. So you have to have something something else you were doing it's on like the side podcast. like this podcast exactly like, it, it, it does like, help it does it really does it's like it keeps the adhd in check it's <laughs> yeah. very helpful <laughs> So, so we both have that to some extent or whatever, oh, yeah. uh, to the extent that it's a real thing, we have it. Well, that was part of why I started Natchat in the beginning, too, was I like kept spinning up these little like side business side projects. It's part of why I did, started doing consulting as well. Yeah. Was I kept spinning up these little like side business projects that never went anywhere. They were just distractions. And I was like, all right, well, maybe my distraction should at least be something that's like, yeah, that's like reusable or makes money. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just like spending money on it. So we all look for these little ways that we can have control over our lives. And sometimes, I mean, he brings this up later, is that this ends up becoming like a really destructive force too, right? He's got this uh, amazing quotation, probably one of my favorite things in the book, where he says that modern man's defiance of accident, evil, and death takes the form of skyrocketing production of consumer and military goods. Carried to its demonic extreme, this defiance gave us Hitler and Vietnam, a rage against our impotence, a defiance of our animal condition, our pathetic creature limitations. If we don't have the omnipotence of gods, we at least can destroy like gods. And you know, to an extent, it's like going back to what he said earlier, the consumer and military goods part. Mm -hmm. It's like at some level, we're literally like just destroying Earth. Yeah. Right. Like with all like the trash that's created and like yeah, on the macro the, level, it's the like, macro level, an easy yeah. way to give ourselves a sense of control. Yeah. And we do it on the micro level, too. Yeah. Right. It's like people are losing control over their lives. And so they binge eat or stop eating. Just buy a lot. Go shopping. Or, yeah. They go shopping, buy a ton of stuff. They destroy their personal relationships. They get in fights with their partners, parents, kids. Like yeah. when, you know, I think that's like a really easy stereotype, right? The parent who comes home from a really terrible day at work like lashes out at their family not because their family did anything wrong but because in some ways it is a way for them to regain control over their lives over what's going on right it's like i will influence all of your emotions because at least then i know that i'm not completely powerless in this world yeah right that i mean it that's a really hard thing to remind yourself of in the moment but i think it is useful to keep in mind right is like before you lash out or before you like destroy something maybe think about if you were doing it to try to give yourself a sense of control and that might be why exercise works so well in those Mm. moments 
moments, right? Because yeah, I notice when I feel point. when I feel super shitty and just like really out of it and depressed, anxious, whatever. If I go work out, I feel so much better. And things feel so much better. That's so yeah. true. And part of it's definitely the endorphin rush from doing it, but part of it is also like, hey, I You're have doing control. something. Yes. I did something. Yeah. Right. Yep. I showed that like I can leave and work on you know my body, right, and like jump rope or whatnot. Well, and that's fully in your control. It's fully in your control. Extent. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's like so you're getting that control back. Because if you think about, let's say you're struggling or not struggling, let's say there's something frustrating you with your, like your business, right? It's like that is all dependent on other people. Like there's so much of an interplay. It's, it's not out just of your you, power. Yeah. Right? It's not really in your power. And then, but then you go to the gym and it's like just you. Right. So it's when going back to the work clean recording, that's probably why the cleaning up to reduce anxiety works so well. Yeah. Is that if you just take two minutes and close all your browser tabs, arrange your desk nicely, like dust it off a little bit, you've shown that you still have control of the situation. Yeah. You can kind of like diminish the chaos. Exactly. In some ways. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some control to bring order out of the chaos. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. It's cool. Yeah. It's yeah. a great way to think it's about it. Interesting. Right. And in some ways that feeds into what he ends this section on where he's saying that we're always going to have these anxieties, but we can use them as springs for growth. Right. If we identify where this anxiety is coming from, what, you know, hero narrative we're trying to play out, where we feel like we're losing control, that can help us experience personal growth. We right. can use it to improve ourselves. Or the things that are making you nervous or you're avoiding right. are usually good things to things go that you do. should probably go do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I realized that like with uh with Growth Machine, I put off opening a bank account for like a month <laughs> because I just I didn't know how to do it and I didn't want to like physically walk to the bank and have to figure it out and sit there for two hours, right? And open up the so, like get the EIN number the EIN and go, uh, 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 and, but it was definitely the thing that I most needed to do right. for a month and so that would that was such a good heuristic was like all right what am I avoiding oh, doing I'm most? doing that right now with QuickBooks like I haven't set up my QuickBooks account Dude, QuickBooks is great I know it, it's great I've used it before it's awesome and then it's just like I just keep it's on my to-do list but it keeps going down the to-do list it's just, probably the same thing with your bank account exactly just like yeah. yeah you're just putting it off it was just like well I'd rather work on this customer thing or like help move this sale along it's like, more fun to do the other yeah things. it's yeah. like that's but that's the thing those things are known like I know exactly what I'm doing with those it's just a matter of doing them yeah there's no anxiety with them exactly well, that's such a helpful way to get things done that you're avoiding doing is like, what is the smallest, easiest task you can break it down to and put on your like to-do list, right? So for that, it might be open the QuickBooks homepage. Right. Because <laughs> once you once you do that, you'll probably do the rest of it. I know, it's it. not hard to do it from there. They probably yeah. make it really easy. It's, like, it's sort of like the just floss one tooth, right? Yes. It's yeah. a really easy way to start flossing is you just or tell yourself. You said on one of the other episodes, like the waking up thing, you give yourself the permission to go back into bed. Yeah. It's, it's like, like if you're still tired in 20 minutes, you can go back to sleep. And you, you never do. You're never going to do it. You might yeah. do it like if you're really not feeling you're well. totally out of it. Like, I've yeah. done it like once in yeah. the last three months, right? right? It's like very rare that that would happen. Yeah. But once you give yourself that permission, it's so much easier to get out of bed. It's kind of like the idea. I think Jocko says this, but like going to the gym, like if you just go. Yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> Even if you don't feel like it, you just say, I'm just going to go. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to go. Well, his rule that I love is if you feel super shitty and out of it, you can take the day off tomorrow. Yeah. Today you still have really to work good. out, but you can that's take tomorrow really off good. if you still really want to. And of course, you never want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a really good idea. That's a great rule. So you give yourself that sort of out. Yeah. Like your so your brain is like, okay, fine. All right, that's a good compromise. Yeah. It's like fine, I'll go do it today, but I can take tomorrow off. Yeah. But then you're gonna feel so good, you'll be like, ah fuck it, I'll go tomorrow. Yeah, you're like, I feel great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So then I think he gets into Freud. Yeah, which honestly I feel like we can mostly skip over. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is he was saying that uh like Freud's premise is that sexuality is like the primary repression. 
repression. Yeah. And then in here he's saying that the consciousness of death is the primary repression. Right. That's essentially the I mean, he had a cool a, a bunch of cool like anecdotes about Freud and stuff in this yeah. section, but which I thought was interesting. It made me want to go read more about Freud yeah. and his philosophy, right? There's like a really good biography of Freud. I'm sure. Yeah. Interesting. Because his life seemed really interesting too. Apparently he yeah. I don't know, it seemed like he was being psychoanalyzed in his book a lot. So <laughs> yeah. it seemed interesting. Yeah. So then we get into this chapter, the spell cast by persons, where he's talking about transference, which we've come to a couple of times before. And I, I don't know, had you heard of this idea before? This whole transference? Um I've heard of projection. Okay. Yeah, I think Not it's pretty similar. It's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah. Right. Uh, but basically the way he explains it is that, uh, and actually he's quoting from Eric Fromm here, but he says that in order to overcome his sense of inner emptiness and impotence, man chooses an object onto whom he projects all his own human qualities, his love, intelligence, courage, etc. By submitting to this object, he feels in touch with his own qualities. He feels strong, wise, courageous, and secure. To lose the object means the danger of losing himself. This mechanism, idolatric worship of an object, based on the fact of the individual's alienation, is the central dynamism of transference, that which gives transference its strength and intensity. Good quote. Yeah. And I think we also have to clarify here, too, that object isn't necessarily a physical object. Right. Right. It can be a person. It could be an idea. It could be a country. It could be a sports team. Yep. Right. It can be like anything. And you know, like he says, right, in order to overcome our inner emptiness and lack of control, we project onto this other thing. And that's where we try to derive all of our meaning from. And he goes on to explain that it, or he goes on to say that it explains why we deify people, yep. right? Placing certain select persons on pedestals um, and reading into them extra powers. Because we believe that like the more power this person who we worship has, then the more like power we have. We would get. Because we are like their followers. We're going to be on the ark with them, you know, when God comes and purges the rest <laughs> of the earth. Or on their spaceship. Or on their spaceship uh -huh. Mars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, Elon, Elon Musk Elon is the Musk. perfect example of this, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's so much deification of him, especially in the tech community. And it's almost like no fault of his own. So it makes me feel weird to like criticize him. I mean, he definitely plays it up a little bit. Yeah. But it is ultimately on the other people who are deifying him. Yeah. To do it. And I mean, going back to the Tim Ferriss thing, it's the same kind of thing there. Exactly. It's like not really his fault. I mean, he obviously has a podcast, so he's putting himself out there. Right. But well, he's a very good self-promoter. Exactly. Right. Right. But it's like not his fault that people deify him. Exactly. Yeah. He yeah. makes it possible for them to deify him. makes it possible. Him. Yeah. He puts it out there, opens the door. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> makes money off of it. Makes money off of it. But yeah, we sort of need to create this value, right? We have to like infuse our life with value in order to call it good, right? And we like fetishize these transference objects to satisfy our like really highest yearnings and strivings. They give us some of that satisfaction of accomplishment. Like just by having this thing we are obsessed with, we feel like we have done something when that thing does something. And to an extent, do you feel like it's like we know that we're not perfect? So we're sort of fetishizing this like supposedly perfect object yeah and we want to we, treat it as perfect yeah because right. he has i don't uh, like he has a section um i don't know if it was in this chapter or in a different chapter where he's talking about how like when people for their partners mm -hmm. are like they view their partners as being perfect mm. but obviously it's a human being so right. a human being can't be perfect and then we get like very offended when the partner isn't perfect yeah right in like any way it doesn't mean just like they cheated or whatever it's just like if they're just not perfect like they had a bad day and they were arguing with you or something right, right like we take it emotionally and we take it very personally because in our heads they were this like perfect they're creature. breaking this image of the yeah. perfect person yeah so it's almost yeah. like you're destroying the idol 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and then he kind of closed out the chapter by saying it's like a necessary unburdening of ourselves, right? Because we don't want to be closed up on ourselves forever. And so we have to project some meaning of our life uh, outwards. And then he's got this great quotation that we did not create ourselves, but we're stuck with ourselves, yeah. right? And this is part of how we unburden ourselves with ourselves. Yeah. It's a weird thing so, to say, but yeah, strange loop. <laughs> And then in the next chapter, he kind of touches on it some more. So he's talking about how we project it onto other people in particular. Yeah. Right. And especially, I guess, in modern life, we're much less spiritual than we used to be. Right. We're more you know, scientific, rational, whatever. We don't have the same like strong religious culture that we used to. And he actually says that's why we have this new concept of like love partners. Right. Right. So that's where I was going with okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like historically, you didn't really like love someone and marry them. It wasn't really discussed in the same way it is now. Yeah. And he's saying that this quoting from the book, modern man's dependency on the love partner then is a result of the loss of spiritual ideologies, just as his dependency on his parents or his psychotherapist. He needs somebody, some individual ideology of justification to replace the declining collective ideologies. Which is a yeah. Yeah, it's a cool way of framing it. Yeah, right? it is. It's like it's we like, need something to cling to. Right. So this is just the transference of yeah. that something. If this we don't have like God, then yep. we'll cling to a partner. Right. And I think we see this with some men too, where if they don't have a partner to cling to, they will cling to like hooking up with a lot of people. Right. Or, or they'll cling or to an work, ideology of some type. Or an ideology. Or, yep. Yeah. I, it's it's very interesting. Like this whole book in a lot of ways, like Power of Myth, mm-hmm. talks about like how kind of like the loss of mythology and the loss of religion has almost also been partially responsible for creating a lot of these like psychosis problems yeah that are out there right like yeah it's just like with a lack of something like like the certainty that there's an afterlife right right kind of solves a lot of these problems of like the fear of death yeah because it's like okay well if i'm gonna die in work ethic yeah it's like well if i'm the work i'm doing here is to get to heaven that means there's a heaven and that means there's a forever, meaning I'm immortal. Like I, my soul is immortal. Yeah. So if that's the view that you have and you're fully believe that with like every ounce of your being, I don't know. It's like a, just a different, like you probably don't have that fear of death and all the consequences of that, that are, that he talks about in this entire book. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, you, it's a way to offload a lot of it. A lot it's like of you were saying right. before, it's the transference, right? Right. So yeah. I wonder, I mean, so Taleb talked about this in a blog post recently it, well, I don't think it was an anti-fragile about how like religion has to have had some uh, survival benefit mm-hmm. to have been so pervasive throughout the world and every culture. Yeah. And he didn't really speculate on what that was. He just sort of said like to say that it's this like remnant stupid thing is probably <laughs> probably like probably wrong. an oversimplification yeah. of what's going on. Yeah. And there's probably like things you can't see that like it is useful for or at least historically it was useful for. Right. So in it, this book kind of like dives into that if you think about it. Yeah. So those beliefs, like you probably, those societies that had those religions wouldn't have this kind of anxiety that he's talking about here and transference into like other issues maybe because they just had this shared group collective ideology. Yeah. Well, and they they followed. It's uh, you can also form a group around sapiens. Exactly. You can form a group of bigger than 150 around a religion. Exactly. Right. So you can organize people. So even if you don't know someone personally, you you fear of the same religion, you have this shared myth. Yeah, exactly. And you see that too. Now it's like, even when you meet somebody who like, let's say is a startup person in a totally unexpected environment, like, it's like, oh, you'd hey, be like, you're like, oh, we're part of the same tribe. In exactly. Some ways, you know, like you've got a little yeah. bit of that shared experience. Yeah. That connect on. Yeah. And that's probably nice true feeling. for every, you know, every like yeah. mini group that someone feels like they're part of. Like if someone's really into jujitsu and meets someone on the plane that does jujitsu, they're probably like, oh, there's one connection. of my brothers there, you know, or, or yeah. sisters, you know, yeah, it's like they're part of the same tribe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It makes you think. 
Uh, but I thought this part was funny where he's talking about how we've lost some of that mythology and that spiritualism. And he argues that, or he says that modern man tries to replace that vital awe and wonder with a how to do it manual. Oh yeah. Right. So there's a great <laughs> quotation and he says, uh, and he explains that we know why we prefer the how to do it style over the like vital awe and wonder, yeah, yeah. which is that if you cloak the mystery of creation in the easy steps of human manipulations, you banish the terror of death that is reserved for us as species sexual animals. So if we think everything is like perfectly logical, clear, step by step, do this, do that, then you remove that like dreaded anxiety from uncertainty. The ether, right? The yeah, ether's gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like uh, the, the emergent parts of the system are gone. Like all the gaps are gone. You like get this illusion of understanding that sort of myth of control that we've talked about a few times now you feel like you have some power well it's like if you eat you know three servings of fruit and five servings of vegetables and exactly three nine servings of grain and like (laughs) every single day within a 24-hour period you know what i mean it's like that type of discrete understanding or seemingly understanding Mm -hmm. is a illusion of control right there yeah because like we don't we do not understand nutrition on that level at all exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) but you can feel like you do by doing it i've like seen people get anxiety about not eating their like allotted fruit increment yeah. For the day. And I'm just like, that's not how it works. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's not works at it's all. like you're not going to die if you don't have your three fruits a day. Like, yeah. The, the, the daily balanced diet is such a ridiculous myth. Yeah. Like, it's like you're saying it's like if that was true, we would not be here. Yeah. No like way. if that was true, humans would have died long so long ago. ago. Like any species that has that requirement would be so dead. Yeah, you'd be gone. so fragile. Yeah. Like, any, oh, yeah. any change in like the, the available food and you would just be out. You're just done. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bet that's an experiment that evolution has tried before. And like, because evolution seems, you know, there's a lot of experiments that have probably been done with species. They just didn't last. Well, I mean, evolution doesn't experiment. No, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, you, if you view that as like the personified right. version of what's happening, right? Like, there's probably I mean, the closest version to that. air, like breath, right? We yeah. have to breathe every whatever number of seconds or otherwise we die. Right. But there hasn't been the fluctuation of oxygen that there has been of, uh, in the, at least in the lifetime of humans. Oh, I see what you mean. So we can't modulize how much we breathe. Yeah, we can't like well. have oxygen yeah. fast. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, that wouldn't work. breathe for a few days. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah like that just like point. literally has not happened probably in the history of humanity where there were a yeah. few days on earth without oxygen. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> right, but there were definitely plenty of times where there were days without no food. food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, water is surprisingly, like you need water surprisingly often. Yeah, that makes sense though. But yeah. Yeah. Might be some physical barrier there. I'm sure like that yeah, you against. can only store so much water. Although yeah. some animals can go without yeah. water for quite a bit longer than us. Camels and stuff. Camels, yeah. And some animals can get all their water from eating, from eating plants. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. I think like certain boots maybe. Like they don't actually have to drink water. They can uh-huh. just eat grass and stuff and they get enough water from they that. They can extract it. Yeah, they can extract it. So anyway. So uh maybe we'll just touch on a few more of our favorite things that he brings up here i mean a lot of this i feel like we skipped ahead to yeah we have talked about, about a little bunch bit. of them but he's got this this section right here in the present outcome of psychoanalysis yeah, where we all avoid thinking about death and these big problems by as he puts it tranquilizing ourselves with the trivial right it allows us to lead our normal lives by focusing on things that don't matter right so celebrities and social media and the news and just like all of these silly things that have like absolutely no significance but by focusing on them we don't have to think like what happens when I die or like, am I doing what I should be with my life or like, do I even matter? Right. Let's you avoid the, yeah, let's you avoid like those hard questions. And 
He goes on to say that like in order to live, you have to engage with the experience on the terms of the experience itself. Yep. And so a lot of people get anxiety about not having control, right? Which has come up a lot here. It's this need for control. And so they want to know the outcome before they do something. They want to know exactly what steps they have to follow. Uh, but you can't do that. It's just not how the real world works. He says that one has to stick his neck out in the action without any guarantees about satisfaction or safety. Uh, like the hero myth again from exactly. Power of Myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hero, just like the hero's in. journey. The hero's journey, yep. right? It's like you don't know what the outcome is going to be, but that's just how you have to live. Like you just start and see where it goes. See where it goes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Principles even talks about the like sort of need for fail, like how failure can be beneficial. Mm -hmm. It's and, that loop. Yeah, that self-improvement loop. But you can't enter the loop unless you stick your neck out. It just right. Doesn't, unless doesn't you try happen. something. Yeah. You have to be doing some sort of experiment. And you have to kind test. of be like in. You have to be in it. Like you can't go in because there's also I've seen like experiments with like a very self-defeating attitude. Mm -hmm. Like you're going in and it's, you know, it's not you're like, oh, it's not it's not. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's fine if we fail. So you haven't right? invested your ego in it at all. Right. Or like or and not your ego, but almost like you're being in it. And then if it fails, it doesn't actually put you in that self-improvement loop because there's no pain. Exactly. At yeah. all. You kind you of didn't need really that invest in it. You didn't really go in. Yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of what he's saying is like to you need to to engage an experience at least partially on the terms of experience itself. Like you need to yeah. actually be in the, like in the experience. Right. You need to be fully invested in it so yeah. that you can learn from it. Right. Yeah. Because it like building on that, he talks later it's like about the cult of failure. We've talked about that mm. before. Yeah. Like over-deifying failure in the startup world That's is kind of harmful. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like not painful. That exactly. Fail. Yeah. But it should be painful. Like, right. Otherwise, you're not going to learn from it. Exactly. It should <laughs> suck. Yeah. So it motivates you to, you know, not fail. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. he also says that beyond a given point, right, we're not helped by more knowing, by more information, but by living. You have to go out and get that experience to really learn. And then you have to reflect on the meaning of it. Because if you have just all reflection without any plunging into experience, you'll just go crazy. And if you have just all plunging into experience without reflection, then you're a brute. Right, you have to balance both of them. You need to go out and do things and then reflect on them and process and learn from what you did. Which is like in some ways what's really cool about like Neil Strauss's writing. Because yeah. he's like, he doesn't just like theoretically think about stuff. He like goes all in. Goes and does it. And, and he like seriously fucked reflects. up his life doing it. Yeah, right? but he's he also all great in. at reflecting. Yeah. he's At least in his writing, he's really good at reflecting. So it's like he kind of gets both of those. And then that's part probably what makes his writing so interesting. Yeah. Is that you know it's, he's got skin in the game. He's got skin in the game. Skin in the game. Future episode. Future for episode. Sure. Taleb, again, an open invitation. To we got to gotta hit up the publisher. <laughs> try to get an early copy. Uh, so maybe we'll just skip to some of these. Good tweet at him. We should. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll just skip to some of these last thoughts here yep. yeah so the last thing that he ends on is just how we have to face up to our need to be heroic but like most of us aren't right so he, he says that we're drinking and drugging ourselves out of awareness because awareness of our lives in a situation calls for that type of heroic dedication but culture doesn't provide the opportunity really for most of us to be heroes anymore so society helps us forget it and this is like the soma of brave new world right yep. just you know which i finally soma. read oh you did nice. yeah recently like uh maybe the three four weeks ago okay so not that long of a read no it's pretty it's quick. A great book, though. Fantastic book. Yeah. But that whole society, which is, I think we're moving towards, right, is you can just be entertained and sedated all the time. You don't have to worry about life or existential crises. And, you know, he argues that here, too, right? Like a manipulative utopian science, right? Brave New Worldish, by deadening human sensitivity would also deprive us of our heroic urge to victory yeah. right and it's kind of like the immortality problem we said before if we have no fear of death like what would we do what would we do right, right? what would we be motivated by well you have this note here which i totally agree with that made me think of universal basic income as well yeah i the more i read about ubi the more i think it's kind of a bad idea yeah or it could be like the like i don't know i feel like it would 
be it would lead to some pretty bad things like people would almost destroy the world to have something happen the way i imagine it ending up working out is that like all of the productive rich people move to like sf and new york and they just have to build a giant wall around those cities to keep out the 95 percent of the country that could no longer be productive who just gets their you know check every month to you know buy groceries from the local store and it's like a weird combination would you be even going to a local store would it be amazon i guess amazon just like airdropping it it to you yeah like, yeah. It's like a weird version of Soviet Russia. Have you like, ever seen um, Idiocracy? Yeah. Yeah. So I always picture like that where it's like somebody like literally sitting down in front of the TV, like, you know, TV or some whatever type of entertainment VR device or something. Right. And like food sort of being just given to them. Like It's a weirdly prescient movie. Like... But on the other hand, though, like, so that's one potential outcome, right? Yeah. Is like that, that type of thing happens. But the other part of me thinks that just like humans have this like need for something to happen mm-hmm. so we would like not like the society would literally destroy itself mm. before it got too far into ubi like if Maybe. like ubi would exist but then i just feel like i don't know something would some type of self-destructive streak would come into There'd play be revolts or of some type yeah, yeah. Well, that's sort of, I mean, he alluded to this at the beginning, right? If you don't have a reason to live, you will create one. And exactly, right. it's kind of like if you've got all these people who can't work, right? And they might not be creative, right? Like, I think that's one of the kind of silly myths which of yeah. UBI, which is like, oh, well, if you give people money, they'll automatically become entrepreneurs and artists and musicians painters, or, and painters, right? And it's like, well, I mean, eh, most I'm entrepreneurs sure buy into that. As much as like entrepreneurs like to say we're not in it for the money, we're in it for the money. Yeah, well, we're we also like, we in it because we get we, bored of anything else right so we love what we do but like it is also the money part is important so if it was like you were gonna start a company but there was like no money involved kind of be like doing like those fake stock market games on the internet Mm. like i never found those interesting because it's just like how do you stay interested yeah you know what i mean like yeah well and that's that's the other problem too is it's like if you remove that motivation people just go get it somewhere else right right like either a different country right where they can actually compete or they just you know will compete on something else right we'll need like fighting pits right Yeah, like, I mean, uh, and Fight Club goes into some of that, too. Like, the deadening of society a little mm, bit. And, like, yeah. how you need to feel alive. Feel alive like, again. Yeah. The only way you can do that is by beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, that's yeah. a good book. That's a great book. So, the last line that he ends the book with is that... uh he says, you know, who knows what form the forward momentum of life will take in the time ahead or what use it will make of our anguished searching. The most that any of us can seem to do is to fashion something, an object or ourselves, and drop it into the confusion, make an offering of it, so to speak, to the life force. I think that's a that's great, great way to, to wrap up on. Yeah. So first off, obviously, everyone should grab a copy of Denial of Death. Absolutely. From MajorThinkPodcast.com. Go to the <laughs> Denial of Death show notes where you will find a link to the book. As well as a lot of other links. As well as a lot of other links. In fact, links are everything referenced in the show. We uh, we make some pretty good show notes. Yeah, that's so. what we've been told. I've actually been told by some people that they, you know, our episodes tend to be a little bit long. A little long. Like, yeah. So mm-hmm. I've been told they listen to the episodes when they have time. Mm-hmm. But when they see the episode in their feed, they go to the show notes page oh cool and then just to see what was referenced if there's any articles maybe they should add to pocket or read yeah. at the you know right away and books they should um, read books yeah. they should read yeah so yeah and if you want to find out about these books before we do the episode uh we have an email list now where you can subscribe and we'll send out an email before the episode comes out we're going to aim to do that about two weeks before the episode comes out so you have enough time to buy it read it you can also get all the past show notes on there obviously and then the other thing you should check out is that you can now support the major think podcast yeah. so as we're 
recording these episodes, we're usually doing a few things. First and foremost, we are usually drinking a mushroom coffee by Four Sigmatic. So this is pretty cool. Uh, it's a coffee that has lion's mane and chaga mushroom mixed with a little bit of instant coffee. So it's like lightly stimulating, not crazy like normal coffee. Like I can't drink normal coffee. It's just way too much caffeine. This I drink a lot of normal coffee and I was <laughs> trying to like reduce a bit. Yeah. But like I'm not going to lie. I feel more energized in a more clear way when I'm drinking mushroom coffee. Yeah. For sure. That's what I like about it. Like, it's like I a little more even. And I don't have like, I know if you're listening, you probably think I have like some type of ADHD or I like go on all these <laughs> tangents. This is way less than my like coffee tangent. Like if I was like very caffeinated right now, mm-hmm. I probably could not form like coherent, complete sentences. Yeah, I'm the same. So yeah exactly yeah uh, I'm ch- chipmunk like on cocaine yeah like, exactly yeah. like that's why I've, I've like never tried cocaine and uh <laughs> i'm incredibly terrified to see what my brain would do on something like that Ca- because caffeine's bad enough yeah exactly <laughs> but the four sigmatic mushroom coffee is excellent and it's cocaine thinking free. And, and it's, it's cocaine, cocaine free, free yeah so. it's really important yeah <laughs> uh and also they have a cordyceps mushroom elixir mix which i really like it's like a pre-workout mushroom mix uh, and there's no caffeine so you can take it if you're working out late at night super helpful no problem so yeah you can get both of those at foursigmatic.com slash think or you can go to the made you think podcast site Uh, and there's a link there yeah and you'll uh, find all of them other ones is bone broth by kettle on fire so kettle on fire.com slash think and they actually give you guys 20 percent off so if you want to thank you kettle on fire thank you guys yeah if you want to get some bone broth get back to your ancestral diet like we've talked about in anti-fragile and a lot of the other episodes uh that is perfect it's a great way to get collagen a lot of other parts of meat that we don't get in our diets anymore so it's great for like skin health gut health in particular it's tasty it's tasty yeah it's good for testosterone if you're any guys listening so oh, check and that it's also out. it's about to be winter well it is when well, it's not technically winter yet but it's, it's about there. to be yeah it will be when uh, this episode comes it's out it's really nice to put that in soups oh yeah yeah i, and love, I actually like, i make soup in the winter i make a lot of uh meals in my instant pot with yeah. bone broth oh so cool. you yeah, can take like a that. big uh, hunk of like beef chuck and marinate it in bone broth and like some spices and things oh it's so good just, it's like spoon beef right it's so tender that you can just like pull it off with your fork absolutely delicious that sounds so good yeah so it, we're not sponsored by instant pot but that's also a good investment. Yeah. so well you can probably buy that on amazon yeah you can get it on amazon yeah so go, we'll click on our link show notes. Buy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is my favorite kitchen utensil i've ever purchased yeah, it's amazing one. and then the last one's perfect keto so uh perfectketocom slash think uh if you're interested in the ketogenic diet or getting into ketosis definitely check out their exogenous ketone products so this is a like ketone salt that can kick you into ketosis which is amazing for like mental clarity for productivity it helps you burn fat much more effectively helps you like lose weight it feels good and again non-caffeine stimulant so you don't get all of those jitters i take it every morning when i wake up especially since i'm doing a keto diet right now so it's really helpful uh and the other thing that i recommend is their matcha mct oil yeah that sounds really good we'll have to try that exactly And and it's a powder so you don't get the gastric distress that you get from normal MCT oil <laughs> no like disaster pants uh so you can mix that up in a shake in the morning really tasty uh yeah so check all of those out at made you think podcast.com slash support i think will be the page awesome. and yeah thank you all we will see you next week yeah this was uh this was this is good and let us know what you think and uh last but not least please leave a review if you can um, on itunes that really helps us show up uh as a suggested podcast from yes. other other podcasts that would be amazing so yep uh till next time till next time thanks all